And from that, what Jesus is looking to do in our lives. I mean, sometimes we, we get so focused in on Jesus in the manger, and we think about the condescending, humble love of God coming to us, and we get so focused in on the death and the resurrection of Christ, and the tremendous gift to us, there's many aspects that we forget about who Jesus is, and with that, we rob ourselves of so many things that are important to us in our spiritual journey. And so we've been in this journey called Jesus 360, where we've been trying to look at the whole Jesus, the complete Jesus. And we're obviously not going to get to all of it in just a few weeks, but you know, we started out by looking at Jesus as teacher, as the rabbi. It's one thing for us to experience new life in Christ. It's a different thing to actually learn how to live from Christ. And many of us are robbing ourselves of one of the greatest blessings that God gives us in Jesus, because we're not learning how to live from Christ. And he's a great teacher. Last week we looked at Jesus as the great healer. And he doesn't just come to heal us physically, which he can and does do at times, but he also comes to heal us emotionally and spiritually and intellectually. And the list just kind of goes on and on. And many of us are neglecting the ways that God can bring wholeness, health to our lives across the board because we don't appreciate who Jesus is as healer. This morning we kind of look at something a little different. (laughs) You can tell by your outlines, and Tracy laughed when she started folding them this morning, because there's not a whole lot there on your outlines this morning, is there? (laughs) And and when you see a sheet like that, you know that your pastor has really wrestled with this message, and is not exactly sure how it's going to come out, even though he's got a message to teach you. And that starts literally with just the title. I, I, I didn't even put a title on this morning's sermon. Because I'm not sure if I, if I put it on paper, it was really going to communicate to you what it is that's, that's on my heart today as we think about Jesus and his role on the planet and his role in our lives. And let me say up front that one of the goals of my preaching is not for you to walk out of here with all the answers. Generally, my, my goal in preaching is for you to walk out here, walk out of the building on a Sunday morning, and the conversation with God is just beginning. If you walk out of here on a Sunday morning and the conversation is over, then I haven't preached very well. But if your dialogue with God is just beginning when you leave this building, then I've taught the truth to you, and you have a lot to talk to God about. And this morning, I, I pray that that goal will come across. Now, if I had to give this sermon a title, I'd call it Jesus' role as the kingdom's advocate. Now, I, I'm not... I don't use that title to suggest that Jesus came to to teach us about the kingdom. And he certainly did that. But I I see that much more fitting underneath his role as the rabbi, as the teacher. And we see many places in the Gospels where he's teaching us about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like. and And he goes on that over and over again. But as Jesus' ministry unfolds, and the understanding of the disciples of who he is is elevated, Jesus intensifies his teaching, his advocacy of them actually choosing to live in the kingdom of God. He knows that living in the kingdom of God, living by faith, living as a follower of Christ, is best for us. And as his ministry unfolds, his his urgency, his passion in challenging us to choose to actually live in the kingdom of God, to be actual followers of Christ, to truly be people of faith, intensifies. He, he advocates for the kingdom in our lives. I'd love for us to just spend some time in Luke chapter 9 today. So I'd love for you to open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9 with me. If you're pulling out your iPad or your iPhone or whatever, you can just scroll along to Luke chapter 9. And if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you can get to page 879, which is where our text is going to focus today. 
I, I want you to see the dynamics that are going on in Luke 9 before we get to the end of Luke 9, which is where we're going to focus today. Beginning of the chapter, we have the feeding of the 5,000. And immediately on the heels of that, Jesus gets to spend some time alone with the disciples, and he asks them, who do they think that he is? And we have Peter's confession of faith. We believe that you are God's Messiah, that you are the Son of God. And so their understanding of who Christ is is going up a notch, right? So he begins to teach them about what's going to happen and how he needs to suffer and to die. And he challenges them to deny himself, to deny themselves and to take up their crosses and to follow him. Then he takes Peter and James and John and he goes off to the mountain and he's transfigured before them. And he has this little powwow with with Moses and Elijah. Now, while he's up on the mountain, the rest of the disciples are trying to cast out a demon and they can't do it. And he comes down and he's frustrated. You know, they understand who he is, at least intellectually, that he's God's Messiah and that he's given them his, his power and yet they can't make it work. And so he challenges them. Then he begins to teach them more about his ministry and the suffering that is to come. And then while they're traveling along, they have this big argument about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, <laughs> you know? And so their understanding of who Jesus is is going up, but they're getting it in their everyday lives isn't making a lot of progress. And I think it's in that context that we understand what happens in verses 57 through 62. Let me read these verses together for you. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now you would think that Jesus would jump for joy. All right, I got a real disciple, right? What does he say? Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Ooh, sign me up. (laughs) That's what I want, you know. Then he said to another, follow me. And Lord, he said, first let me go and bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and, and spread the the news of the kingdom of God. And also another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if you were one of the disciples who's walking along with Jesus, what would be running through your mind? I mean, did Jesus get up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? I mean, in some ways he appears appears insensitive, right? One guy, you know, says, follow me. The guy said, well, I need to go home and bury my father. Well, let the other people bury your father. You come with me. That's kind of insensitive, doesn't it? Another one says, you know, hey, Jesus says, I'm willing to follow you. Let me just go home and give my mom a kiss goodbye, shake my dad's hand, thank him for everything he's done, pat my little brother on the head, and I'll come follow you. Jesus says, you know, if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. I mean, it sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Looks like he, it sounds like he had some bad pizza the night before. You know, he's got a little gas and he's just, you know, I, I'm being somewhat facetious, but yeah, I'm being totally facetious in that area. Because <laughs> I don't have any clue that they had pizza back in the days of Jesus. What's going on here? Jesus is working with the disciples. And I believe his interaction with these three is really meant as a message to them. You're around the things of the kingdom, but choosing the kingdom is different than anything that you expect. What does it really take to walk in the kingdom, to be a part of the kingdom? It's totally different than, than anything that you expect. Let's look at these three interactions, see if there's some things that we can pull out. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and there's a guy standing along the side of the road. He says, listen, I'm willing to follow you wherever you go. No restrictions, no fine print. I'm willing to sign up, and I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, you know what? The foxes have dens, and the birds of the sky have nests to go home to, but the Son of Man has no place to lie his head. Part of the cost of the incarnation was that Jesus was homeless. And and what's he trying to communicate to this would-be disciple? 
But more specifically, what is he really trying to communicate to his current disciples and then to all of us? And that is, is that the message he's trying to communicate is that living in the kingdom, walking in the kingdom, choosing the kingdom is hard. It's a, it's a hard life to live. I am amazed at myself and how my expectation is that somehow or another, the presence of God in my life is, should, should make, just make all my problems go away. And everybody should look at me and say, boy, I want to be living his life. And Jesus says, you know what? The teacher, the, 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 the servant is not above the master. The pupil is not above the teacher. The teacher's got no place to live. He's got no place to put down roots. He's got nothing to give him any luxury. And yet somehow or another, my life is supposed to be so much better than his. Walking in the kingdom means that we're going to choose to live lives that are hard. Life that's, lives that are inconvenient. Lives that are demanding. And so he advocates for the kingdom because he knows that many folks aren't ready to make that choice. And even his own disciples are having a struggle to step into that. And so Jesus finds himself advocating for the kingdom because he came to bring the kingdom to us. You know, you can look back just a few chapters in, in uh, the book of Luke and in his versions of the Beatitudes. He says, you know, blessed are you when people hate you on account of me. Now, how many people do you have in your orbit who hate you because you love Jesus? I talked to one guy on the phone a couple of weeks ago, I think, who hates me now because I love Jesus. But I, there's not a whole lot. The Jehovah's Witness guy who called me up. He was actually more aggressive than I was, so it was an interesting interchange. And, and what are friends for? Ken's the one who told him to call me, so, you know. But how many people hate you because you walk with Jesus? You know, and, and part of this is Jesus is, you know, back in, in uh, a little forward in chapter 14, you know, Jesus is is talking about the fact that if you're going to you know, take up your cross and follow him, you've got to hate your mother and brother and sister. And then he tells the parable of the guy who says, you know, if you're going to go out and build a tower, you know, so the first thing you do is you sit down and say, okay, how much money do I have? And how much does my stock list cost? And do I have enough money to build this thing completely, or should I stop and save a little bit? And he's trying to get people to stop and to count the cost. That's what he's doing with this, this guy. He's trying to get him to cost and get him to stop and to count the cost. And, it, you know, it's... Sometimes we in the church, we make it sound like, like there's no downside to following God. And, 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 and actually there isn't, but that's not the way it seems to the world. Because our faith should be, should make our lives somewhat inconvenient. Being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is going to cost you money. It's going to cost you money. Being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is going to cost you time. It's going to cost you lots of time. Faithful, being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is going to obligate you to get involved in the mess of the lives of other people as you bear their burdens. It's hard stuff. It's hard stuff. And Jesus said, stop, count the cost. It's interesting, you know. You know, as, I, you know I've, you, as you know, I've been to Rwanda three years in a row. And prior to that, we had a chance to go to Burkina Faso earlier. And, it, and it's so interesting to me. You come across people and, who say, you know, I could never go to Africa. I can't stand bugs, you know, or I, I got to have a hot shower in the morning. You know, I'm thinking, you know, that's not a whole lot of inconvenience to put up with, to be a follower of Jesus Christ if he's calling you to go on mission. But I, I'm not just pointing the figure at them. There's been opportunities for me. I've been asked to think about taking certain ministries, and I'm thinking, I don't want to live there. <laughs> you know, I don't want to live there. It snows too much, or there's not enough people around, or whatever, you know, and, and it's, you know, and it's not the only thing that factored in, but, but that kind of stuff shouldn't be there because it, it's inconvenient. It's hard work to follow Jesus. Now you're feeling really uplifted, aren't you? We're on, we're on a roll. All right. So let's look at this next guy. So a, Jesus says to this other guy, he says, well, follow me. 
So some people volunteer to follow Jesus. Other people get invited to. Jesus is inviting this guy to follow me. He says, I'll follow you. He said, but let me just go bury my father first, and then I'll come follow you. Now, when you study this, commentators are kind of divided down the middle. Some, they have two kind of thought patterns of what's going on. One group thinks that there's no way that this guy is standing in the crowd watching Jesus walking down the road if his father has actually died at home. Because it was a tremendous Jewish obligation to take to, to bury one's father. I mean, if you were a priest, you got released from your service in the temple. If it was your job to sacrifice the Passover lamb for what you got released from that. If you were supposed to circumcise your child on that day, you got released from it. Everything, burying your father took precedence over everything. It was extremely important. So here's this guy standing in the crowd. Now, it could be that his dad has actually died. And, and out of his grief, he's come and he's, and he's looking to connect with Jesus and to get a word, a word of hope, a word of life, or whatever. And Jesus invites him to follow him. And then he says, well, I've got to go home and finish burying my dad. Then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, you know, let other people do that. Let the people who haven't been called deal with that stuff. But there could be another side where the, the best excuse this guy could think of was, I've got to bury my dad. Now, he's only 42, you know, and he's going to live another 35 years. But when he finally, when he's dead, I'll come follow you. And, and there's a sense of, I got a lot of life to live. I got stuff to do before I can get my spiritual house in order. And Jesus says, you know what? Let the people who are concerned about this world deal with all that stuff. You just come follow me. You just come follow me. You know, part of what Jesus is communicating is that to, is that to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple, to be someone who lives in the kingdom, who lives with all the benefits of the kingdom. It takes an unrelenting sense of urgency to keep Christ first. And, and we have this amazing ability, myself included, to let life squeeze that out of the way. You know, last fall we, we spent some time working through a series we called Add One. You know, when we were looking at the things that God has always used to expand the place of faith and to expand the church's footprint in the, in the world. It starts with, a, with an act of faith, a faith that's built on the Word, but from that, as we, as we participate in worship and discipleship with other believers, as we serve in the name of Christ, as we reach out in the name of, of Christ to other people, God always uses those things. Many folks had a reaction, well, you know, I just got to change my schedule a little bit so I have time for a life group. And now we're six months later, they're still not in a life group. It's a lot of urgency. Others said, you know what, I know I need to share my faith with my neighbors, but I just don't know enough. I've got to get some answers first. And they're six months later, and they still don't have the answers. And, and I, I'm just kind of pointing at a couple things, but that's tr- that dynamic goes across all of our lives, doesn't it? It goes across my life. Jesus said, you can't, you can't walk in the kingdom if you don't have any urgency. There's always going to be something that's important for you to do that's going to compete with giving Jesus first place in your life, of walking in the kingdom. So you've got to change that. Every single one of us knows right now as we sit here this morning, there's, there's something we need to be doing to get our little spiritual house in order. And we've been procrastinating. I'm a great procrastinator. You just look at the paint job of my house and you can tell I'm a great procrastinator. You know? I mean, it, it, and, we, and we bring that dynamic over. It's not so much that going home and burying his father was a bad thing. That wouldn't have been a bad thing. But it's the fact that we can always find something that keeps us from giving Jesus the first place in our lives. What about this third guy? <laughs> Jesus is walking down the, the path, journeying to Jerusalem. 
And again, he comes across someone and says, I'll follow you. But, you know, I don't know when I'm going to be back. I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. I don't know if I'm ever going to get back. So let me just go home and, and say goodbye to everybody before I come follow you. Sounds pretty reasonable, right? I mean, in our day and age, if somebody walked off with, with Jesus and never came back, he might get accused of kidnapping them, right? <laughs> you know? So, and here's, here's this guy, he's, he's out there and he says, all I want to do is go home and, and kiss my mom goodbye, shake my dad's hand, or give my wife a hug and pat my kid on the head. And he just wants to go out and follow him. And Jesus says, you know what? If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not going to plow straight towards the kingdom. And, and he's trying to teach the disciples, he's trying to teach us, through his response to this guy, that the choice to walk with the kingdom has to be exclusive and it has to be permanent. It has to be consistent. <laughs> I can remember, you know, back when I was taking driver's education, you know, when I, was, I had my permit, wanted to get my license, you had to, my, taking driver's ed, and at a certain point in the journey, you, you go out and you start driving with, with the, this instructor. And so I remember the first time I went out driving with him, you know, we pulled away from the curb. We were driven. I, you know, I, I thought I got this mastered kind of stuff, right? You know, so we pull into a park a lot and whatever. And he, and he says, okay, I want you to back up now. So I, I put the thing in reverse and the mirrors are all set, right? So I'm looking at the mirror, you know, and, and looking along the side and I'm backing the car up pretty straight. We've only gone about 10 feet. He slams on the brake on his side because they always had brake on their side, you know, and I, you know, you're doing this one. Thing. He says, which way are you going? I said, backwards. He says, well, which way are you looking? I said, well, kind of that way in the mirror. And he says, when you're driving forward, which way do you look? I said, well, I look out here through the windshield. He says, when you're backing up, which way you should be looking? He said, and so, you know, it's good. turn around, get your arm over, take the look, you know, back up like this. And so, you know, this big dramatic thing. You know, sometimes we're trying to move forward in the kingdom, but we're still looking out the back window. And Jesus said, you, you can't be doing those things. It's not going to work that way. You know, you, you, if you are going to walk in the kingdom, you have to make a choice to walk in the kingdom. And that choice has to be complete. It has to be permanent. To tell you the truth, is, it's parts of that I don't understand how you do. So I think there's some help for us earlier in this chapter when Jesus says in verse 23, he says, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So I think there's an aspect of this which is daily, even the struggle of figuring out what does it really mean to deny ourselves? I mean, you know, when Peter denied Christ, he said, I don't know him. So maybe it comes to a place where we're trying to work ourselves to a place where we don't know ourselves. In the sense that we don't know what we want, we only know what Jesus wants. You understand? And that's a journey that goes on. That's one of the reasons why we need each other. But it's this process of, of denying ourselves and walking with Him, having such a love for Him that it so supersedes any of our other allegiances with our families and with ourselves that it almost looks like that our love for them looks like hate in comparison for our love and our passion for Christ, as he talks about it later in chapter 14. I think in some ways this idea of, of exclusively choosing to live in the kingdom is that we need to stop asking the question, is this the life I want? And start asking the question, is this the life Christ wants for me? Why is he being so hard? Well, one of the things I'd say to you is that Jesus is not a patsy. You're not going to outfox Jesus. Like somehow, well, I'm going to tell him all the things he wants, but I'm just going to go do what I kind of want. It's not going to work that way. Believe it or not, Jesus is pretty smart. He may be gracious, he may be forgiving, he may be loving and everything else, but he ain't dumb. But beyond that, the reason why Jesus is being so hard is he's afraid that the open gate to the kingdom will be right there and we won't see it and we won't enter through it. Look over a little earlier. Look at verse 25 of chapter 9. 
<laughs> Let's look at verses 24 and 25 together. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. He says, what is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? Jesus does not want us to lose. He does not want us to forfeit ourselves. He wants us to gain the benefit of the kingdom. And he says, this is what it's going to take. It will be hard. That's the nature of the beast. It'll be inconvenient. It'll be demanding. It'll be challenging. That's the nature of the beast. It'll demand urgency. It's something that you're going to have to keep front and center all the time. But it's worth it. It's a choice you have to make and never look back. Because it's worth it. See, Jesus advocates for the kingdom for us. He advocates the kingdom to us for us. And one of the greatest roles that Jesus has in our lives is to speak that advocacy into our lives. Are we choosing to walk in the kingdom? Are you saving your life or losing it today? Let's pray together. God, thanks for your passion for us. I don't believe Jesus was trying to be hard on these these people, Lord, but he was trying to teach us the points at which we're going to struggle. God, we started a conversation with you today. Work with us as we finish it that we might choose to experience life by losing ours. We thank you that that can happen in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite our